well, we've been looking through spiritual disciplines this semester, and tonight we're turning our attention to the, the discipline of fasting. Now, I'd imagine that thus far in this semester, you've probably uh, prayed a good bit. Uh, you likely have attended worship. You've maybe observed the Sabbath, and yet fasting tends to be that spiritual discipline that... Uh, we are, we are all too often forgetting, and we all too often opt out of. So I'm happy to see such a great turnout tonight to, to learn about fasting. What does it mean to fast? Why would you? Tonight, we're going to look at how, how fasting is a spiritual practice whereby we cling desperately to the throne of grace. But before we look at that, let's go ahead and ask the Lord to meet us and show us these truths. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we have for too long feasted on that which doesn't give us life. We've become prideful and arrogant. We've assumed that what we have is ours. Lord, we, we ask that you might meet with us tonight, that you might open our eyes, Lord, open our ears. Father, create in us a hunger for who you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at two passages tonight, uh, and we're just going to read the first one to begin with. We'll get to the second in a minute. The first is Matthew 6, 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in 2008, uh, this kind of shows my age slightly, but in 2008, season four of Lost aired possibly its most popular episode of the whole show. And within this episode, you don't really need to know much except that the show is called Lost and it centers on a group of people who are, in fact, lost. But in the midst of this episode, Desmond, the Scotsman, finds himself, his consciousness, it's not glued to where he is in time. He wakes up one day and he's in the past. And then he blinks his eyes and he's back in the present. And he starts to go crazy because he, he can't figure out what is what. And he's told that if he doesn't figure this out, he's going to die. And so as the episode climaxes, he's told that, that he needs to find his constant. The one thing that's true about him, both in the past and in the present and in the future, he's told that every equation has variables, things that change, things that, that differ from one moment to the next, but every equation has a constant, something that's always the same. Tonight, what we're going to see is that fasting in many ways is the constant. It shows you the constant for the Christian life, that God is the same, that he is the one that we depend on, that he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. So tonight, simply put, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the definition of fasting. What is it? We're going to look at the warnings that Jesus offers towards us for fasting. And then lastly, we're going to look at the purpose of fasting. So first, the definition. Did you know that every religion in the world and nearly every culture has some reason for fasting. It's a universal 
thing about humanity. Nearly every culture, every religion has some type of fast. In fact, even our modern culture, if you look at health tips today, fasting has made its way back in. Lose weight to fast. Fast to lose weight. Or maybe for health benefits, you might fast from a specific type of food. You might take a fast from alcohol. You might uh, fast from social media or from the internet. Even our modern secular culture recognizes the benefit of, of setting something aside and not picking it up for some time. Yet throughout the Bible, we actually find numerous examples of the people of God fasting. In Leviticus 16, 29 through 30, the whole nation of Israel is told that one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, they will fast that day. Every single year. The whole nation. Moses fasts for 40 days and 40 nights as he goes up to the mount to receive the law of God. In Joshua 7, 6 and 1 Samuel 7, 6, we find the nation of Israel fasting, seeking the Lord's intervention against their enemies. It's also uh, found in, in 2 Samuel 3 and 2 Samuel 12. David fasts over the death of his friend Abner and over the death of his child. We find people fasting for grief, fasting for the Lord's intervention. In Psalm 35, 69, 109, David fasts over the evil of wicked men, asking the Lord to bring his justice, seeking the Lord to intervene. The prophets mention fasting numerous times. It is a constant refrain from them. And in the New Testament, we find that the church in Acts, they fast before they send missionaries, and they fast before they elect officers. Now, wouldn't that change our elections every year? We had a corporate fasting. Likewise, Jesus, he begins his ministry fasting 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness. And notice what he says in our passage tonight. He says, when you fast, not if you fast. The assumption is that the people of God will fast when and where they're able. Time and again, we find that the people of God are fasting. They're humbling themselves. They're bringing themselves low. They're seeking the Lord's intervention. They're seeking his help time and again. They're giving up bread and food, reminding themselves that it's the Lord that sustains them. Well, what is fasting? Fasting, as you might imagine, is a voluntary abstention for a definite time of food or water, either individually or corporately, privately or publicly. It's often paired with prayer in order to humble the body before God. Fasting in many ways goes hand in hand with prayer. When we think about fasting, we often think about prayer. They're tied together. It's, it's no mere accident that the passage following Jesus' instructions about how to pray is about fasting. It's the very next passage. It's the, the bold font of our prayers, if you will. It's the exclamation point that we put at the end. It draws attention to our needs. Andrew Murray, the, he's a 19th century South African evangelist. He describes fasting like this. He says, prayer and fasting are like two hands. Whenever we pray, it's as though we're reaching out and we're putting one hand on the mercy seat of God. But when we fast, we take our other hand off the legitimate things of the world, like the comforts of food, and we cast all earthly support aside in order to put both hands on that mercy seat. Fasting helps us to express, to, to deepen, and to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice everything, even ourselves, to attain the kingdom of God. Fasting 
It's that spiritual practice whereby we say no to the gifts of God because we want the giver of the gifts instead. We want the giver of these gifts. We seek him, as Murray said, with both hands. We seek him as our, as our constant, the thing that doesn't change, the one who doesn't change in the midst of a changing world. And so fasting, again, is a definition, is a period of time whereby we set aside food or water, partnered with prayer, either individually or corporately, either publicly or privately. That's what fasting is. Now, you'll notice, though, that there's, there's an immense warning that Jesus gives here about fasting. As with the message on prayer a few weeks ago, there's there's a warning is extremely similar to what Jesus says. In this, in this passage, the context that we find is that for whatever reason, the Pharisees of that day, they're, they're not using fasting as a means to draw closer to God, but they're using fasting as a way to build up their pride and their self-righteousness. The warning is against a performative practice, whereby we seek the approval of God and of men, whereby we seek to, to make ourselves greater or better than others. We seek to put God in a place of debt, in a place of need to ourselves. Now, there's certainly much that we could spend time on tonight uh, discussing performative spirituality. If you're not on Instagram, you don't know what the hashtag blessed movement is, but we could spend a whole series looking at the ways that, that young folks especially will set up their, their small group, their, their Bible study, they'll get their coffee and their Bible open and they'll take a picture of it for hundreds and hundreds of likes performative spirituality. But more than likely, if I had to guess, that's probably not the problem that we have when we think about fasting, right? Many of us, the the principle that's here applies to all of us, though, whether we're fasting or not. The principle of using your, your spirituality as some type of performance, whereby God owes you because of the things that you've done, whereby God owes you the life that you want, the desires of your heart, because you've done all the right things. How do we know this is how we think? Because when life goes wrong, what do, we, what do we usually cry out? We wonder, God, why is this happening? Like, I, I listen to all the right podcasts. I went to church every week. I, my kids learned the shorter catechism. Why is this happening? I did everything right. We think that the things that we do equal the outcome that we want. We think that God owes us because of the things, the spirituality, the ways that we live. And that's what Jesus is addressing with this warning. But there's a second thing that I think it's worth pointing out. It's right here in the second passage that we didn't read. Matthew 9, 14 through 15. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus tells us that there's coming a day. He's telling us in this passage, there's a coming a day when his disciples will mourn because the bridegroom will be taken away from them. That they'll mourn because they don't have Jesus anymore. i got to be honest, I worry in our state of privilege. For us today, do we forget that the bridegroom is not here? Do, do we forget that, that Jesus isn't here, that we're still waiting for him to come back? Or have we grown accustomed to the gifts of God, the blessings that he's given us, the things that he, he, he's given us, the ways that he's blessed us? I can still remember being in middle school and the minister speaking about Jesus returning and how we're not going to know when he returns. It's just going to happen. It's going to happen in an instant. 
and we're going to go off to heaven, and we're going to praise Jesus forever. And I remember going home, right, and praying, Lord, I can't wait for you to come, but please let me see the last Lord of the Rings before you come back. And I would love to get married as well, right? We have those hopes and those desires. We want the manna instead of the one that gives the gift. We want the things that he gives instead of him. There's a real sense where fasting exposes that about us. When we fast, we're we're saying no to the things of this world. We're saying no to the gifts that he gives. We're giving up those, those perhaps good things, and we're seeking the Lord only. We're giving up the things that he gives for the one that gives them. Perhaps the main reason we so rarely think to fast, perhaps the primary reason is that we don't often see ourselves as desperately in need. We don't see ourselves as desperately in need for the Lord to intervene. Think about this. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, when he's fasting for 40 days, Satan comes to him and and he tempts him. How does he tempt him? He says, turn these stones into bread. You know, perform the miracles of God. And, And we read that and quite frankly, it doesn't seem like a bad idea. Why would it be wrong for Jesus to turn rocks into bread? to do the miracles of God. And what does Jesus say in response? Man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Do you live by the word of God alone? Do you, do you recognize that you are desperately in need for God to intervene? Look, we don't have to look far to find reasons that we need God's intervention even now. Think about our city. All of the stats are bad. Crime rate, poverty rate, education, graduation, or we could look at the resentment, the growing resentment in our country, whether it be politically or culturally or racially, or we could look at the ways that our culture is struggling, how young people are constantly growing up in a state of anxiety and depression that it continues to grow, that there's a shrinkage of the church, our church doors are continuing to shut. Throughout, the, throughout Europe and even now coming into America, there are reasons to need the Lord to intervene. Are we desperate enough yet? Or we could look at our own hearts. I don't know about you, but there's, there are so many times where I look at my heart and I think, how can I still be struggling with this same thing? How can this sin continually plague me? How can I not get over this yet? Am I desperate enough And have I given up hope of my own ability to conquer this and in desperate need of the Lord to intervene? Fasting reminds us of that. It reminds your heart that the bridegroom's gone, that you are longing for him. You're aching and yearning for him to come back. It's a tangible practice, something that that causes us to feel the realities of our existence, of our literal neediness. The hunger of your stomach reminds you of the hunger of your spiritual condition, that you are desperately and in need of the Lord to intervene. But lastly, it reminds us of our highest good. Why do we fast? What is the the purpose or the end goal of fasting? This is likely where we end up, I would assume. We get to the end and we wonder, well, what's the purpose? What what is the benefit? What's the point? If the Lord's not going to give me the things that I'm fasting over, I'm praying over, why would I do this? And if we're honest... It's likely from, from prayers that we've had that have gone unanswered, things that we have, we have prayed for 
lab results we've hoped for, children that we've, we've prayed over constantly, Lord, would you turn their heart? It's these prayers that we have that, that perhaps haven't gone answered that just cause us to throw our hands up and say, what is the point? Why would I fast? Why would I pray? Jesus in Matthew 6 says that if we fast like this, the Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, will see and will give us a reward. What is that reward which he promises to give? Well, it's interesting that Jesus, as he opens the Sermon on the Mount, he goes about describing what, what his citizens are like, the people in his kingdom. What are these people like in his kingdom? What are they like? You know these. He, he begins describing them. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek or the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemakers. But right in the middle, this is what he says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Fasting, it reminds us, this is a spiritual discipline, which reminds us that we bring nothing to the table. That we are, we are utterly in need, utterly dependent on God to act. The physical pains of fasting, they remind us of that spiritual reality. And they point us to the one that can fill the hunger of your heart. Jesus says in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The reward, what is the reward that the Father promises to give? God promises to reward us, not with the requests of our heart, but with his very presence. He promises to, to meet us as we give our needs over him, as we give our grief over to the Lord, he promises to meet us. We're no longer hanging on to the legitimate things of this world to fill us. We're, we're turning everything over to the Lord and we're grabbing onto the mercy seat with both hands, desperately longing for him to act. We're clinging to the promise that God will interact, that he'll meet us. That in the turmoil of life, he'll be our constant. The one that we can search for and find. For Christian, he's been your constant. Whether you've fasted, whether you've prayed, he's been longing for you to seek him and search for him. He's been there waiting for you. Throughout the, the waves of life, as the storms have come and they've gone, as the hard and difficult times have come and gone, he's been there. Longing to grow closer to you. Fasting, it, it brings you to those places. It removes the veil over your eyes where you finally are able to see clearly. The scales are removed. And you see your situation as it truly is. You are desperate and utterly in need of the Lord. He's your only hope in life and death. He's the author and sustainer of your life. John of Landsberg was a, a 16th century Catholic monk who wrote uh, a letter from Jesus Christ, a letter from Jesus to himself. <clears throat> and this is what he says. These, this you know, would be from Jesus to John. He says, I know these moods where you sit there utterly alone, pining, eaten up with unhappiness, in a pure state of grief, 
You don't move towards me, but desperately imagine that everything you have ever done has been utterly lost and forgotten. This near despair and self-pity are actually a form of pride. What you think was a state of absolute security from which you've fallen was really trusting too much in your own strength and ability. What really ails you is that things simply haven't happened as you expected and wanted. In fact, I don't want you to rely on your own strength and abilities and plans, but to distrust them and to distrust yourself and to trust me and no one and nothing else. As long as you rely entirely on yourself, you are bound to come to grief. You still have a most important lesson to learn. Your own strength will no more help you to stand upright than propping yourself up on a broken reed. Fasting is that practice whereby we remind ourselves that we cannot trust ourselves. We remind ourselves that our, our own strength and the ways that we try to control our situations, that we try to act and intervene on our own behalf, it's just like standing upright on a broken reed. Fasting reminds you that, that you can't rely on your own strength, your own abilities. But you must and you may only hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what are the things that you're turning to instead of fasting? What are, what are the places that you go? Where, where do you go when life is in turmoil for you? When you're hurt? What is the bread that you try to feed yourself, your soul, when you're hurt? Do you numb it with entertainment? Do you watch football all day Saturday? Do you watch Netflix through late hours of the night? Do you spend hours scrolling on social media? What do you do with the hurt that you have? What do we do in, in this world? Do, do we run to the, the policies and the different leaders that we might have, the different political movements? Do we think that they offer any real ending to the issues that we see facing our world? Or do we cry out to the Lord? Do, do we offer up prayers to Him? Do we cry for, for His kingdom to come? That His will might be done? Wouldn't you rather run to God? Wouldn't you rather seek His intervention? Wouldn't you rather feel His comfort over the grief that you have over this world? God promises that those who hunger and thirst after him will be filled. It's worth asking, are you hungry? Do you ever find yourself hungry for the Lord to intervene? Would you let go of the things of this world that you might actually feast on him? As Jesus says, that, that his body and his blood, those are the things that you need to feast on. You need his salvation. Will you bring yourself to literal hunger, letting go of the things of this world, seeking the Lord to mold you and to shape you into his image? When we fast, we let go of those things that we hold on to, those things that we depend on. We recognize that, that it's the Lord that utterly sustains us. It's the Lord's intervention that we're desperately needing. And when we fast, the Lord promises to feed those that are hungry. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, you are good to us. Lord, we, we ask, Lord, that you might meet us tonight. Lord, that, that we might feast on you. Father, would you remind us of, of the ways that you have loved us and you've called to us, you've pursued us. 
Or are we willing to give up everything in order to follow you? For what would it gain a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Father, humble us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.